0: Sean loves Jesus with all his heart and has been serving him in full-time ministry for the past 32 years. As the founder and president of GroundWire, Sean has combined his calling as an evangelist with his gifting as an innovative entrepreneur. He is focused on creatively and effectively communicating God's word, love, and purpose to every student. Through his leadership, Groundwire has grown to one of the most influential and efficient evangelistic outreaches in the U.S., seeing tens of thousands of millennials place their trust in Jesus every year. Sean Dunn, welcome into the corner office. Thank you Brent. Ah, great to have you here, Sean. And we always kind of talk a little bit about the early years and kind of how things get started. I'm I'm so uh, tickled that you've agreed to be on our show and of course uh, very excited to hear more about Groundwire. We've had a couple of previous discussions uh, about the work you're doing and it's just so innovative and so exciting. But but let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and you know what your early family life was like.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in a Christian home in Spokane, Washington right. and, uh, man, loved the Lord from a young age, the way I described it, though, as I was a bored, apathetic Christian kid.
0: <laughs> I
1: knew I know all, the type yeah, personally. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew all the answers yeah. and, uh, I loved God. I just didn't know how to serve him sometimes. And mm-hmm. I didn't know how to overcome and. And, uh, you know, walk in, in some of the things that God wanted me to. And so, you know, that was, that was my journey. I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't get saved out of the heathen world. I got saved because I was a good Christian sinner. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> that uh, and,
0: sounds familiar. And, that's a, that's a very common story. Yeah. Or did your mom and dad grow up in the church? And, and, they did. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Brothers and
1: sisters? I have one brother. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Got it. Yeah. And what kind of inspirations, uh, you
1: know, were they for you growing up, uh, your brother and or your parents? You know, uh, my, they're, they're great people and, uh, you know, very godly, very, uh, mature and, uh, you know, I, they were not pastors. My dad right. was just, he was, he was in the business marketplace and, yeah. and loved the Lord and, and acted out of that. And so it was a little, a little different, a little shocking when I sensed a very, very strong and very real call to vocational ministry, mm-hmm. uh, when I was 14 years old. Wow. Is that when you came to Christ? No, I I. I came to Christ at a young age, six yeah. years old, wow. but it was 14, 15, 16, where I was really kind of figuring out the Lordship issues
0: yeah,
1: and, uh, and all those things. And you know, again, I, God gave me a mission statement at 14 years old. And if you have a mission statement of 14, you're weird. And I, <laughs> I was different. I, what was uh, that
0: mission statement, John?
1: You know, I was sitting in a service and I yeah. felt like the Lord whispered into my heart. It was not the preacher. Don't remember mm. what he said, mm-hmm. but I just remember feeling like the Lord whispered in my heart, contend for a generation. Mm. And so wow. that's, that's kind of been my marching orders ever since. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Any other early inspirations in your childhood, other people, pastors, teachers, coaches?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. I had, uh, my, my, uh, youth pastor, and my pastor were very, you know, people that I put on a pedestal and, and longed to be like them and longed to please them. And, and, uh, you know, just godly people that, yeah. uh, that, it, but it was really the passion for the Lord, that really drew me to them. They just, you could tell they authentically cared about him. Right. And uh, you don't see that as often as as no, you should. No, you don't. No, you don't. Were you a good student in school? Uh, I, I was smart enough to get by, but not mm-hmm. disciplined enough to excel.
0: <laughs> good sum up. What kind of things did you do outside of class? Obviously, you were involved in your church, but any sports, music, theater?
1: Yeah, no, I, I was, uh, my, my obsession, if I had idols in my life, they wore sports jerseys. Ah, and, okay. Any uh, so particular
0: I, sports or particular team?
1: Yeah, I know basketball was, yeah, was kind was of my you. obsession and, and, right. uh, you know, kind of convinced myself that uh, I had a shot and then I, you know, I don't know what age I looked in the mirror and realized, yeah, that's probably not going to happen for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, did you
0: keep kind of that height thing in the, in the doorway, right, where you were yeah. measuring yourself?
1: <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I did, I grew up in the same hometown that John Stockton did and I was kind ah. of built like him. So, you know, it, that gave me more hope than, yeah. but I, I, you know, I, I knew that I was called to ministry and, uh, and that wasn't what the Lord had for me, but I did get to play a little bit in college and have some fun there. So, uh, so enjoyed that. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Duke. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) kidding. Uh, No, uh, you
0: followed Duke. I'm sure very closely. My
1: my joke is I've always liked Duke because they, uh, they went out and recruited for years. They recruited short white guys that weren't the best, but they worked harder. And so I really could relate to that because that was kind of my game. What's not to like about a blue devil, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's as Christian as they come.
0: (laughs) What kind of entrepreneurial things, if any, uh, did you do growing up, Sean?
1: You know, I'm not sure that that kind of hit me until, until later. Uh, I I really didn't do anything from the entrepreneurial space. It's, uh, you know, my, my, I knew that I was focused on, on reaching young people with the gospel. The only model that was out there at the time was local church. And so that's what I assumed I would do my whole life. I I did that. And I served denominationally, ran eight states for a few years Mm. and then, uh, you know, started to travel full time as a speaker and an author. And the entrepreneurial thing really hit when God began to get my attention about the model of ministry that I was running with versus the need that was out there. I see. right. Right.
0: So what were the, the uh, events that you were involved with? Was there a church program that was doing outreach to young people? And did you kind of latch on to that or, or did you kind of take a step in your own direction as it related to the ministry, to, to, to the generation, as you
1: said? Yeah, well, uh, you know, growing up, we went street witnessing every Monday night. We had youth oh. group every Wednesday night. We went in to nursing homes and, and prayed for old people yeah. uh, every Friday night. So was always involved in ministry. And uh, I, I'm not sure if your question was once I got later in life, or if no, you I, mean, were... I meant more as a kid. You know, yeah. when,
0: when you were involved in the church at 14 and older. Yeah, you know, were were the programs more of an organized nature, or were there things that you did that were unique?
1: No, you, you know, I was I was a leader in the no. youth ministry, and so uh, I started teaching junior high Sunday school when I was a sophomore in high school. Cool, and cool. Uh, you know, just just tried to to serve wherever I could, and. Uh, not not too many things outside the box. It was just filling in wherever I was asked. Right, right, awesome.
0: And uh, any any early jobs at all, things that helped to support you either during the high school years or when you went into college, that were outside of the ministry.
1: Well, of course, I worked at uh, the local Greasy Spoon, <laughs> flipping burgers, Yeah. It was, it was called Dick's Hamburgers. Okay, it is famous in Spokane. Yeah, their motto is by the burger by the bagful." <laughs> <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> uh, just, uh, we we went through, we we cooked them fast and they were cheap. And so people would come and just buy buy the bag full. Oh my gosh, that's great. Kind of like a White Castle type of uh, experience. Well, y- I don't care who you are. You grow up and there's comfort food in your life. Yep. And so you convince yourself that it's better than everybody else. So I would say much, much better than White Castle.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you went to college? I did. And uh, was that something that you paid for? Parents helped you out? Scholarships?
1: Uh, You know, worked through. uh, Parents helped. A little bit of scholarship. A little bit of everything. Still at the Greasy Spoon or did you do other types of work? No, I went year? to college in, in Northern Cal. So uh, okay. Dick's Hamburgers did not follow me down there. So, <laughs>
0: I, uh, Well, you could have started a franchise down there, but yes. there's probably plenty of opportunities.
1: Did you go to Berkeley or where, where were no, you? No, no. I went to a Bible college, uh-huh, Bethany awesome. Bible College in Santa yeah. Cruz, California. Yeah. So beautiful, beautiful yeah. area there. Yeah. And so what kind of work did you do while you were in college? I had a weird situation. So yeah. before I went down, my youth pastor pulled me aside and he said, do not be one of those people who wastes four years. You're going to learn more from doing than by, mm-hmm. lear- than by lecture. Mm-hmm. So he said, don't sleep through the, the Sundays. And so I slept my first week because mom wasn't there to tell me to get out of bed. <laughs> but the second week I got out of bed and I went to a, to a church and uh, they found out that I was in the area studying for youth ministry. And the pastor uh-huh. immediately approached me and said, "Could we take you out to lunch? And he at over lunch, they said, We are in the process of hiring a youth pastor, but it's going to be six months. Oh my God. Could we hire you in the interim? Which, you know, back then I thought, wow, they recognized God's gift on my life. Now I'm looking at it and thinking, what were they thinking? Well, that's awesome. So you took the job. I did. I did. And so I've been in full-time vocational ministry serving youth and young adult for, you know, since I was 18. That's great. That's great. And you stayed attached to that church during the full time you were in Santa Cruz? No, No. I was, I I stayed there for six or eight months till they hired somebody, went to another church, kind of a a similar scenario, just an Uh interim. And then after about a year and a half, I landed somewhere that I stayed for a couple of years and I came to Colorado and that's when the longevity kicked in. Yeah. Awesome. So um, did you get a degree in
0: biblical studies? Was it, um, you know, a divinity degree? I guess that's more of a master's, yeah. right? So what, what, what was it that you studied?
1: Would you judge me if I told you I didn't get a degree?
0: <laughs> I would not, nor would our yeah. audience. Yeah. In fact, I would say about a third of all the CEOs we've had on yeah. the program haven't received their degree. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's
1: a plus, not a minus. Yeah. No, I, was, I was going uh, to college for, I had a pastoral emphasis or or pastoral degree with an emphasis in youth ministry. And the Lord opened a door for me to take a church in Colorado. And I told him, I'll go back if you want me to, but please don't make me go back. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, when I was in high school, I just wanted to go to Bible college. When I was in Bible college, I just wanted to do ministry. (laughs) Just get started. Yeah. And so that's kind of that, that's kind of my journey. And, and the Lord never asked me to go back. And I've had people tell me even as recently as one or two years ago that I need to go back and get a degree and get a master's before God can really allow me to fulfill my potential. But I believe that... I won't the, judge you on that because I think yeah. you're doing wonderful things. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it's just, I'm, I'm convinced that there is no one path for everybody. That's right. God says to some people, hey, if you go this route, I'm going to bless it. But if you go the route that everybody else is going, you're not going to be fruitful. Yeah. So you really have to walk in that con- communion and that unity with the Lord to really know what he's calling you to do. So what
0: was that opportunity that came up in Colorado and and how far were you into your studies when that happened?
1: You know, I, I probably have two semesters left, uh, but it was, it was a church opened up. They, they were looking for a youth pastor and, and uh, I had been traveling with a speaker during the summer and ran across the church And uh, the pastor ended up hiring me and saying, hey, we'd love to have you come. And so I was a great place. I landed in Castle Rock, Colorado. I was not only the first youth pastor in the church, I was the first youth pastor in the community. Wow, Wow, you're kidding. So really no youth pastor at all uh, in any of the other church? Full time. Full time. And so what that did was, first of all, it's always easier to be the first than to follow somebody everybody loved.
0: (laughs) It is indeed. (laughs) You set the set the tide, set the set the direction.
1: And so because I was the first guy in town and it was relatively, it was only 12,000 people at the time. Everybody knew who I was. 12,000 in the community. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Not everybody, in the church. Right, right. 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 Did I say church? <laughs> no. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just want to make clear about that. <laughs> yeah. I try not to lie when I'm being recorded. <laughs> that's so. important. But uh, but it, so it was everybody in the community. Every, every young person would look at me and say, "Oh, that's the guy that gets us." And I don't know if it was true or not, but it yeah. was, it was such a, it was a it's great really opportunity yeah. to really, to really move forward. And so God really blessed. I showed up. We had seven young people in our first meeting. We had 162 months later. Congratulations. Wow. That's the power. huh? And was
0: it mostly by word of mouth and folks, those seven bringing seven, so to speak?
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 It was, it, it was, God was, he was just doing something special. It was just, a, it was just a unique time. How long did you stay in that position? I stayed there for seven years. Okay. Wow. <laughs> great. Great. And what happened next? Well, so in the midst of, of that journey, um, I, I was licensed, uh, my, my ministerial license was through an organization that has a great ability to take anybody who's having any success and give them so much responsibility. Mm. They can't be successful. Oh. And so I was 21, 22 years old. And they came along and said, hey, we recognize what God's doing with you in youth ministry. So why don't we give you eight states? Wow. And uh, my ego thought that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. Uh, but it, it really kind of plateaued the, the growth of the, mm. the youth ministry. But what it did do is it gave me platform and opportunity to really understand what my giftings and my calling was. Right. And so I was able to, I, I discovered through that I'm more of an evangelist than I am mm. a pastor. Uh, I was able to begin my speaking ministry. And so I did that for several years. And then at the nudging of the Lord, I I started a, uh, I I started traveling and speaking full time as a speaker and an author in 1997. Wow. Wow. No. So was that about the same time that GroundWire was established? The parent organization is called Champion Ministries. And that's when Champion Ministries began. Okay. And Got it. it, and that was your founding,
0: correct? Right, right, All right, yeah, right. And what was the mission statement of Champion Ministries at the time?
1: Uh, the mission statement was, "We exist to." Oh man, you're 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 making me get historical, Brent. You're just you're messing me up. <laughs> well, if you can um, remember the one when you were fourteen, yeah. right? Well, that I was th- <laughs> that was three words though. That was three words. Uh, I had a bigger vocabulary when I was twenty-seven. You know. So no, it was it was really about uh, introducing every young person that we possibly Mm. could to an intimate relationship with Christ. So it was both discipleship, but it was uh, both evangelism, but it was also discipleship through, uh, through spiritual disciplines. How do I connect with God really teaching Mm. young people how to do that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: what you say is kind of your, your secret sauce? You know, what is it that has really made that difference going from that seven to 170 and, you know, obviously the thousands of millennials, as we said in the opening that you brought to Christ, is it, is it technology? Is it the message? Is it being humble? Is it being vulnerable? All of the above, you know, what would you say is kind of the, the key driving force of your success over the years?
1: I, I think that one of the things that has really positioned us and positioned me to uh, To receive some of the things that the Lord really wants to, to bless us with or use us for is really that humility. Mm. You know, yeah. Scripture says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's right. And one of the things I learned when I was traveling and, and doing a lot of speaking at music festivals is if you go to the B and C stages, sometimes the musicians are better than they are on the A stage. mm but the attitude on the A stage was always grateful and humble. And yeah. it wasn't, we don't belong here. We're just so grateful that God mm-hmm. uses us. You go to B and C stage and, and they, they just loved to tell you about themselves. And they, they thought that they were better than everybody was recognizing them to be a stage. Everybody was kind of humbled by the success that they'd had. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, and part you observe
0: of it. that or, yeah. Or was, yeah. Basically practicing that. And, and yeah. was that something you learned at a fairly early age? And is it something that you did, oh.
1: you know, back in those teenage years and certainly applied when you're in Colorado? You know, I, I think that for me, I think for most of us, there's something inside of us when we're trying to climb the ladder, mm. when we we want to be recognized. We want people to, to recognize our gifting and our That's calling. Right. And we want them to acknowledge us and build us up. And it's. I think males in particular, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. love and respect, right? Women right. are seeking love, men
0: are seeking respect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But there were a couple moments in my life where I was brought to a humble place mm. where I was truly asking the question, God, I don't know how. And out of that, I really saw a lot of expansion and growth because mm. when I thought I knew what I was doing and all I cared about was how people perceived me. Um, my mask was polished and I was smooth and I just thought my gifting will make a way. And then I got to a place where I realized I really don't know how to do it. And when I, when my heart was humbled, that's when God said, okay, now I can, Mm. can really begin to use you. So to back up a little bit, my last church, before I came to Colorado, I almost quit youth ministry. Wow. Because I had, I I grew up, I took a youth ministry from six to 20 and then way back down to four. Mm. And it made me question, man, What's maybe I missed my yeah. calling. Yeah, And, uh, and then, you know, stepped into this place in Colorado where, and I said, God, I'll give you one more shot. But if this place doesn't work, I, I know that I missed you. Mm. And so it was out of that humility that I sought the Lord differently, that I positioned myself differently. And I also experienced that in, in the ministry that I'm running now. So when
0: you go back to that
1: six to twenty to four
0: experience, were you more prideful? Do you kind of draw a correlation there, or were there other things that were going on that you learned from that experience?
1: Yeah, when when I went from six to twenty, is it's silly. it's even twenty doesn't seem like a big number, but uh, in the circles where I was running, it was the growth and the momentum oh, that, that's that had everybody's what had attention. To start with, I they, yeah. yeah, exactly, and and it was twenty in a in a, in a church that probably was running sixty. So yeah, right. you know, it's just it was different. And so yeah, yeah, there was some pride there. And and uh the I, I was being asked to to lead different things. And uh so yeah, I mean I, I've struggled with pride my whole life mm-hmm. in regard to that. But what's interesting is now that I'm in this place where we are probably the most effective and efficient domestic evangelistic organization that I'm aware of, I am so humble. And I know that seems weird, but Moses said it so I can say it. And the reason I say I'm humble is because I know this is God doing something very special. Yeah. And all we're doing is we're taking steps every day to be as as in step with Him and as obedient to Him as we can.
0: You know, I mentioned just before we started the podcast that your name came up in a recent conversation. With another CEO, Todd Stewart, that president and CEO of Gulf Wind International, very successful company down on the Houston coast. I think they've got about $140, $150 million in sales, about 170 people. And he's just such an incredible person. And he'd just come back from Germany where he'd done some training with his son about really just learning how to, to take this city approach and really new ways in which to bring the ministry to youth. And, and, you know, I had said, you and I had had a brief conversation and you were on the docket to have our. Our podcast, and I was so impressed in the first time we talked, Sean, about you know what Groundwire does and how you do it. Give us a little bit of an overview of kind of the uniqueness of your ministry yeah. and, and and why it's working.
1: Yeah, it's I would love to. It's. Uh, let me, let me kind of tell you how we got here. So I was traveling and speaking full time and mm-hmm. I was getting every and platform. this was
0: under champion. Uh, right? Yes. Back yes. The day. Mm-hmm.
1: And I was getting every platform that you'd want. I mean, I was, I was getting the music festivals where I was the guy before the main speaker. And so I, I was getting 20, 25,000 people a night that I was getting to share Jesus with. Yeah. And there was a lot of pride. I was patting myself on the back. Mm-hmm. My joke now is almost, I was looking up to heaven and say, God, if you stick with me, I'm going to make <laughs> something. <laughs> I'm going to
0: take you places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean there was maybe not quite that extreme but a little bit of that. And uh and it was December and I was I was looking back at the previous year planning for the next year and so All I right. added up I'd spoken to 150,000 students and thought thought that was pretty awesome and I was pretty awesome. And 2 days later I was deflated. Mm because I, I was reading a George Barna book and all George Barna does is he talks about trends in our nation. Yeah. And the very first paragraph said there are 33 million teenagers in the United States. Mm, yeah, and I compared, I, bucket. <laughs> I compared 150,000 to 33 million. I was deflated. I yeah. was like, I yeah. realized my model of ministry wasn't going to meet the need. And so I began to pray for three months. I wrestled with the Lord. I said, God, I, I, you're a creative genius and I'm an idiot. I don't know how to do this. How do we reach? And my, the, the heart of my you question. had your
0: Jacob moment, it sounds like.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> the heart of my question was really, how do we reach a generation that runs away from us? Yeah. Not to us. Because the more I read in this Barna book, it talked about trends. They're, they're running away from the church. They plug their ears every time we speak truth. Mm. They're saying, I, yeah, that's your truth. It's not my truth. Yeah. And uh, and so for three months, I wrestled with the Lord and, and realized the invitation model I'd been using doesn't work. I was inviting people to come to my church, my camp, my conference. And they were saying, you know what? I'm too busy. Yeah, that's right. And so yeah. it, w- it was at the end of it that I read one one statistic that really shaped us. And that statistic was simply 97 percent of the students in the nation at that time listened to the radio at least five times a week. Isn't that something. Wow. And I thought I can't get 97% to come where I am. That's right. Why don't we go where they are? So we started in ministry on traditional media. We started TV, really? radio, billboard. We wow. weren't doing 30 minutes. We were doing 30 seconds. Yeah. And so God, And really, what was the message there? Uh, really? It was, it was, Hey, uh, God's thinking about you right now. Mm. I mean, you know, whatever it was, I mean, it was, you know, we did, we did hundreds and hundreds of commercials. And we were buying time on alternative rock stations, hip hop stations, country stations. We were buying time on FX, Comedy Central, uh, M- MTV. Uh, we, we were just, we were going where they were and we were sharing Jesus and, and it was working and we were having fun, but uh, we took another change. And this is what really has accelerated our growth. And one of, one of my friends in Seattle, one of the things he says about, about us is he said, you know, the thing he appreciates the most is we pivot on the pivot. Mm. What he says is that most organizations, even churches, they, they make one innovation and it works. And so they lock in for a 20-year right. period. Right. And by the end of the 20 years, they've, they've lost momentum.
0: They milk it for as right. long as they can and then the cow goes
1: dry. Yeah. 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 Well, what we started to do about three years ago was we started to measure everything and trust the data. Awesome. And so what we do now is we leverage uh, the most powerful marketing tool in the world. Somebody's cell phone. Yeah. And we interrupt young people, millennials and Gen Z, with 15 and 30 second commercials that are produced in Hollywood that basically say the messaging is when life hurts, Jesus cares. Mm. And it invites them wow. into a conversation where we're the only organization in the world that I'm aware of that 24 hours a day, we have live coaches available. And so somebody logs in and says, Hey, my life hurts. And doesn't Mm. feel like God's where, where's God in the midst of this? And our coaches walk them through conversation to help them understand God does love you, has a plan for your life, but it begins when you begin a relationship with him. Mm. Fantastic. How many coaches do you have? Uh, We have about 720 right now all over the world uh, that give us volunteers that give us two to four hours a week. And uh, I mean, there's always. And they go through training.
0: Is that kind of part of what you do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And these are ads, right? that are right. run on a, on a cell phone. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's terrific. And, and um, how long have you been doing that? And what do you think the reach has been? Or you're yeah. measuring it, right? So you know right. how many folks you yeah. reached.
1: Well, yeah. I can, I can, we, we really, we shifted from traditional media to, uh, to digital media 100% in January of 2017. 17, right. And that's right. really when we began to see the growth. Yeah. And so, just to kind of give you a little bit of of highlight, we in in 2017 we saw 17 people a day say, "I need a relationship with Jesus," mm. which is a great number. George yeah. Barna said the average church in the U.S. only sees one a year. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and so we were thrilled with 17. Well, yeah. it's continued to grow. So in. In uh, 2018, no, I'm sorry, that 17 a day was in 2016. In 2017, it grew to 77 a day. Ooh. And in 2018, last year, it was 123 a day. Oh, my goodness. And uh, since April 10th, we've been averaging 300 people a day Say, oh, I need a relationship with God Christ. Oh, bless you. That's
0: fantastic. Yeah. So, we just, so, so, so we, they click and basically right. are connected to someone right. they can have a direct conversation with. And is it right. text or is it actually voice? No, it's, it's all text
1: called. and instant message. Yeah. Because millennials. That's what they want to do. Right. They don't pick up the phone and put it to their I couldn't get any of my
0: millennial children to use the phone if their life depended on it to make a call.
1: (laughs) I can't tell you how many parents have told me. I'm so frustrated. I call my kid. And by the time I'm done leaving my voice message, they text me and say, what do you want? (laughs) We just want to pick up the phone is all we want.
0: Wow. Wow. And what's the, um, what's the, you know, what's the culmination of it? Do they have an opportunity to get materials or to speak to someone afterwards? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, first of all, let me just share with you that our numbers are so unbelievable that we had to get them validated by a company. That this is what they do, just right. because we had we had people who say, "I want to believe you, I just don't know if I can." Yeah, yeah. And so one of the things that that three hundred ought- day—that's what a hundred thousand a year. Am I? We're on track. America, right? We we just topped fifty-three thousand commitments to Christ for the year. Fantastic. And if we stay on pace of what we've done the last several months, we'll hit ninety-four thousand, I think. Wow. But I think we'll get to a hundred. That's the goal for the year. Fantastic. So but so you brought an outside agency in. Right. Yeah. Right. And it, but one of the things it did is it showed us that on the back end that this year in the first six months of the of the year, we have had twenty six point five percent of the people who make a profession of faith give us their cell phone number. Mm. Which is a great number. Yeah, I mean, and so what we're able to do, we say we are not going to sell it. We're not going to give it away. All we're going to do is send you content that helps you better understand how to have a, an amazing relationship with Jesus. Mm. And so yeah. about about twenty five percent of them do that, and then we have tools that we send them, and because we couldn't get them to open emails because the younger generations right. do emails differently, yeah, but it. they right. open their texts. Yeah, yeah. so everything we do is video driven. So we, we, uh, we shoot video to them Mm -hmm. once they come to faith, the first seven days. And then after that, every two weeks after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So ongoing connections. Fantastic. And, um, you mentioned these 700 folks, they're mostly volunteers. Do you have full-time staff as well?
1: Uh, yes, we have six staff.
0: Okay. And And you're organized as a nonprofit, I take it or yes, sir. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Right. Gosh, what a terrific, uh, yeah. what, what other kind, you know, I'm interested in your KPIs, you know, because yeah. so many of our successful CEOs, you know, will also say metrics is what it's all about. What else do you measure? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm looking right now at our six month, uh, KPI or our six month impact report, yeah. which, uh, so this, what it does is it, it, it measured our top five or six categories for the first six months of the year, and then compared it to all 12 months of last year. Mm. So, uh, in the first six months of the year, our commercials uh, the, the ones, not if you go look at 16 commercials on our website, that doesn't right. measure this, but right. we we paid uh, to see 38,158,329 commercials shared with people. Mm. In the first six months of the year, we had 549,568 visits to the website. Great. We had 64,617 one-on-one conversations about Christ mm. with 36,922 people making a profession of faith at an all-in cost of $23.24 wow. <laughs> per per person
0: per person yeah 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 Fantastic! Well, those are pretty, pretty darn good KPIs. Congratulations on that, Sean. That's, that's terrific. So um, what do you do daily to kind of stay close to God? And, you know, do you have daily devotionals? Do you, you know, prayer, prayer with your team? Tell us a little bit about kind of how you interact on a, on a daily basis and ensuring that, uh, you know, his will not mine be done.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think the key for every person is, uh, you know, your one-on-one quiet time. Yeah. Uh, we have tried to, we culturally have tried to get away from that. We, we think that there's a shortcut or we think we're too busy. I don't, I don't believe there's anything that you can do. So every morning when I'm home, I start, uh, you know, in my chair, uh, reading scripture. I have, and other people are going to be very different than me, but I've never been a fan of devotionals. Because mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. though it's, what's funny is I've written devotional books, but right. I've never liked them for myself because I always kind of wanted to to say, God, what do you want to share with me? Speak to me. Let's I don't necessarily to need to hear it from somebody yeah. else. So that that's where the day always starts for me. Yeah. Um, but as a team, we do uh, at eight, eight eight o'clock in the morning every morning we we uh, we gather together and we pray uh, together as a team. One of our challenges, as you can imagine, is our goal is. How do we take the numbers from yesterday and make sure that we're not focused on numbers, but on souls and on Mm. individuals and on stories? And so that's something that we pray about regularly is God remind us about that individual who's about ready to take their life until you interrupted them with one of our commercials and they came and gave their life to Christ. Mm. Fantastic. I love it. And, and,
0: you know, you mentioned earlier on about it's uh, about reinventing yourself. You know, you've certainly done this as you move from traditional media now to obviously social media and and advertising uh, via cell phones. What's next? What do you see coming or how do you stay in touch with that? And, you know, kind of stay one step ahead, you know, with regards to, you know, continue to reach out people. Are you seeing trends today among, you know, the generation Z and those that that are following behind them in terms of how we may reach people
1: differently? Yeah. Well, you know, it, when, when it comes to media, one of the things I love about digital versus traditional is you can test everything cheaply. Mm -hmm. So when, when we were doing TV, you'd have to invest $5,000 to know whether a TV commercial is affected. Right, right. Here, I can put a new commercial on uh, on our outlets and know within $50, $100 if it's going to work. Do an A-B test and you yeah. get your results right away. Right. Yeah. And so we, yeah. we do that a lot. So let me give you one example. We, we test everything. And so your question is is dangerous for me because you say, how do you know what's coming? Because yeah. we don't. Because the reality is if we knew what was coming, we would get there before we should. That's, that's true. There's
0: been a lot of companies that have done that in the past and have not been successful. So we do,
1: we do a couple things. We, one of the things we do is we take 10% of what we spend on marketing and we look for new platforms and new messages. Mm. So we're, we're, so we've tested platforms that we, that we know how they'll perform, but they just aren't as good as our, our top two platforms. So we don't spend a whole lot of money there. Right. But if something changes, we can go back or we can, we're, we're looking for the next great platform, but to give you one real practical example on April, Tenth, our numbers increased dramatically. Mm. We jumped from 160 people a day coming to Christ to to 300. Whoa! And I, I what did you do differently then? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. I went into Jameson and I said, "Hey, Jameson, what did you change?" Yeah, and he said, "You know, I was I, I reformatted one of our commercials and I did three things to it." He said, "The first thing I did is most commercials are shot horizontally for TV." Right, but ninety-three percent of the people who see our content do see it it on their phone. That's right. So we format it to vertical. Second thing is, he said I shifted Hmm. it from a thirty-second to a fifteen-second, and he said the third thing I did, I I read last week a statistic that said that eighty-four percent of uh, all people who watch video content on their phone do it without without audio because they don't want to disturb anybody. That's right. And so he went back and he. We, captions. In. Yeah, I put captions on it. And uh, so those three things, it took one of our commercials performing at, now this is, I, I said our all-in costs are 23, 24. That's every salary software, everything right, we do. Right. But if you just take pure marketing costs, we average about 12 to $14. And so he came back and he said this one commercial that was performing at about $14 per commitment to Christ, he said it dropped it to $5.33. Oh my goodness. Wow. Because he made those. So we, we continue to look for those innovations and we, we test everything and sometimes we think we know what's going to work and sometimes it doesn't. So we just now
0: is, is, keep testing. Is and Jameson a millennial himself? Uh, he is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. It. Well, you know, those it takes one to really know one, and yeah. of course, being able to really understand the medium in which things are being built. So that's yeah. a, that's a very good hint, you know. I guess as these things change and we move maybe to virtual reality or you know things in our eyeglasses, there'll probably be additional things that we need to take a look at. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been a terrific conversation, Sean, and gosh, we're almost out of time. But you know, I, I want to ask you a question. It's just a little bit off uh, beat from where we've been before, but you know, we usually ask our our CEO participants, kind of what career and life advice, but I'd love to maybe just have you talk about someone who maybe be inspired with regards to, you know, doing evangelical work or, or like me, maybe two or three years ago before I joined C12, um, which is, you know, a peer advisory uh, organization for, for men that have a Christian faith, you know, if they want to do something evangelical, but maybe they're a little shy or they don't have the courage, uh, unlike you who knew what you want to do from the very beginning, what, what advice would you give to someone? who maybe has a great story or wants to be able to touch people in different ways. What, How do you think about that? And what are the kind of steps someone would take if they wanted to do that in their life today?
1: You know, unfortunately, all my answers are true, but they're simplistic. Yeah. Because, you know, Christianity is not hard. It just takes discipline. It's right. not complicated. And so, you know, I think the first thing, of course, always starts with knowing who you are. And that starts with connecting with Christ. Mm. And it, it, it means laying down your dreams, your desires. I'm reading a book right now uh, written by a a pretty uh, successful businessman in Houston. It's called sacred pace. Mm. And one of the things he was talking about is when it comes to hearing the Lord about what he wants you to do, the wording he used really spoke to me. He said, you have to get to a place where you're approaching God in neutral you're not praying, trying to get him to agree with you. You're not trying to change his opinion or you're not hearing it through the lens of what you want. Right. You're just simply saying, God, I just want what you want. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I also think that there, there, you, you, I believe that there has to be a high risk tolerance when it comes to faith. Right. Because if you are risk adverse, there are, You'll never do it. <laughs> you, know, you, won't, you will not step away from your comfort zone at all. That's so right. one of my favorite say- sayings is life is too short to waste and eternity is too long to ignore. Hmm. And so, you know, we have the eternal opportunity every day to invest in things that matter, to, to love people well, to pray aggressive prayers. But it, it means drawing near to him. It means saying no to our desires, and say, God, what we want is just what you want. Right. And being willing, you know, every, every great hike starts with the first step. And I found more people that talk about where they want to go, that won't take the first step to get there.
0: Hmm. Get out there, try it out, make mistakes, be humble. Right. Yeah. But just keep trying, keep moving forward. Sean Dunn, founder and CEO of GroundWire, and as well as its uh, mother organization champion. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office and what you've done for God. Just so incredibly fantastic. Really enjoyed hearing all of it today.
1: Thank you, Brent. Appreciate it. It was great
0: being with you.